Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. What's happening, Hope? It's good to see you guys again. Welcome to everyone here in the room. Welcome to all you in our campuses around the triangle, and welcome to you guys that are watching online. My name is Clay, and I'm one of the pastors here. Ten years ago this weekend, ten years ago this weekend, I entered the biggest storm, the biggest challenge of my life. Now, Mondays are typically rough for pastors. They, they just are. This Monday took it to a whole new low. It was early in the day. I realized I'm in trouble. My wife called 911, and a little bit later, they were carrying me out of my house. They couldn't get the gurney in, so they were carrying me out. Ended up at the hospital. 27 hours later, I was diagnosed with two brainstem strokes. The neurologist said the only way it would have been worse, Clay, the only way this would have been worse is if you had died. In the hospital, in the bed, I could not walk, I could not talk, I could not see, I could not swallow. All the things that were necessary for me to do my job. In fact, these things are kind of necessary to have any level or quality of life. My release from the hospital didn't mean my release from doctor's care. I spent the next season, I spent the next season in various rehab facilities, physical rehab, voice rehab, learning how to talk again, vision rehab. In fact, my first trip to a neurooptometrist, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a neurooptometrist until I needed that thing. But my first visit to a neurooptometrist resulted in an hour-long appointment with me sitting there with my head in the bucket, the doctor holding a cold compress on my neck and patting me on the back. Come on, she had to be thinking, this is exactly why I went to med school. This is exactly why I went to med school. Come on, think about this. Then storms come in like this, how disorienting and disruptive this can be. I got in the car after that appointment and I cried the whole ride home because sometimes when we find ourselves in a circumstance that has disrupted us, it feels like it is never, ever, ever going to end. And so I cried the whole way home and I was screaming to God, please make it stop. Please make it go away. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever been in a circumstance like that? If, would you please, please, God, make it, make it stop. And just because we're uncomfortable with a storm, just because we are unhappy with a circumstance we're in, it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it go away. For me, the storm continued to rage. And for that next season, this is what it included for me. It included a bucket. Everywhere I go, I'm carrying this bucket because there's this twinge of nausea 
that's always there. It, it included one of those balance balls. You know what I'm talking about? Not, not the whole big ball, but the, like a half one. You know what I'm talking about? You look like you don't, so I, I, I don't know what it's called. But, but this half ball, because I, I didn't walk right. I look, like, I look like the guy in the Edgar suit in the movie Men in Black. That's how I was walking. And so this was supposed to help me get that you know, line back out. And this season also included for me what I call, I call the breather. And the breather, because one of the effects of the stroke that I had, when I would go to sleep, my brain would not tell me to breathe. Apparently, that's important. So my storm is not your storm. But we all have storms. In fact, as you listen to this, Tonight, some of you are going into a storm. In fact, some of you, you're in the middle of a storm. It's raging all around you. And some of you, you're on the other side of a storm. You're coming out. And I think we can all can, all can agree that when you're in the middle of the storm, it's zero level of fun. Zero level of fun. Your storm may be like my storm. It may be health-related. Maybe your storm is family-related. There's all kinds of tension in your families and in your relationships. Maybe your tension, maybe your storm is job-related, and you just don't know what the next steps are going to be, what the next season's going to be, and maybe you're even in a place where you're unemployed and you don't even know what you're going to do to make ends meet, and the storm is bubbling and raging around you. Or maybe your storm is some combination of all of that. And you're just like, awesome. This is just awesome. We can't do anything but raise questions in these moments. I mean, for me, of course, there were questions. I get there, and in moments in there, I'm like, what the heck? What? what? And then, of course, the good old-fashioned, why? Why would God do this to me? It feels like, like, are you not looking out for me? What the heck is going on here? And this is what I've learned about storms, and maybe you have too. But storms, are, when they hit our lives, they're never convenient. It's not like in our life, you know, we build out margin and create space. And, okay, here's a good spot for a storm. You can send it now. We never plan for them. They show up suddenly, and they're unexpected, and they disorient us. And it makes the world that we're living in seem so terribly confusing that we're not sure, what do we do? Where do we turn? And if you're like me, you struggle with this idea. If you can't understand why something's happening, if there's not a reason for it that you can make sense of, you assume that there's no reason for it. But I think that we all can agree on this, that storms, they're never pleasant. They're never pleasant. In fact, we give considerable energy to trying to avoid storms. And if we find ourselves in a storm, we're always looking for what is the quickest way out? What do I have to do now to get out of this? And how can I do it quicker? But here's the thing about storms. Even though we try to avoid them, even though that we don't like them, storms have a way of impacting us like no other experience. In fact, they can springboard us into a greater spiritual development than anything else. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time continuing in Jonah's story. And we're going to look at, well, how did God respond to Jonah? And how does God reveal himself to Jonah in the midst of this storm? So if you have your Bible, your electronic device, go ahead and grab that. And if you would meet me in Jonah chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 4 tonight. 
We'll also get these verses up on the screen for you as well. And as the story unfolds, what we're going to see is that God not only sends storms, but God uses storms for our good. God uses storms for our good. Follow along as I, I read the story of Jonah going into the storm. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I don't know about you, but the first thing that stands out to me as problematic is this. When I look at this, when this started in verse 4, it says, and the Lord hurled a great wind at Jonah. God sent a storm. He, he scooped up. I mean, I'm trying to imagine this. How does this play out in heaven? How does God do that? He scoops up, he forms up, he shapes up, he wads up a big pile of wind and he throws it right to where Jonah is. And I don't know if you're walking in or you're listening in and you're not sure about God and you have to be thinking like, that can't be good. How in any way is that helpful that he would send a storm at God? And listen, I've been a believer for over 40 years. This causes me great angst as well. To me, this is problematic. How, why would a loving God send a storm like this to God, to, towards Jonah? Because this doesn't seem kind at all. 
And without question, when we look at this, we see that God knows exactly where Jonah is. He knows exactly what Jonah is doing. And he throws it right at him. And what we see from this is, though you may try to outrun God, you can never outrun God. It's impossible to get away from the presence of God. And I think, I think that that's a good thing. But when we look at this at first glance, like, why would God do that? That doesn't seem good. Is he just, is he being petty because God didn't respond to him the way that he thought he would? So now he's mad at Jonah, so he's going to throw the storm at him. Oh, run from me, are you, big boy? Watch this. Hmm. And so we see that this mighty tempest is on the sea and the ship threatened to break up. So it's not looking good for Jonah. It's not looking good for the crew that's with him. And then this is what I begin to think. Maybe this is what you begin to think when you find yourself in the middle of a storm. It doesn't take much of a disruption. It doesn't take much of a disruption at all for us to realize that we're not as powerful as we thought. It doesn't take much of a disruption for us to realize we don't have as much control as we thought we did. And listen, I get it. We like to be in control. We like to be in charge. We like to manage things. But if we really think about this, how much control do you really have? You have hard enough time. I have hard enough time managing and controlling our car keys. How did these things get in the refrigerator? Who put my keys in the sock drawer? And to think that we can control things bigger than that. Storms revealed. <laughs> Storms just reveal that we are fragile and frail. And that's disconcerting. And that's disconcerting. And the story changed, changes perspective because we start with Jonah's perspective of this. But then it goes to the mariners. These are the professional fishermen. And when we join this, I mean, that means that they, this is their job. It is their job to be at sea. They are moving cargo at sea. This is where they're supposed to be. And when we hear of this story, what we learn about them is that they're crying out. And this is the biblical way of saying they are totally freaking out. They are, they're like wigging out at a high level here and they're starting to pray. They're like, what can we do? And they hurled the cargo into the sea. Now listen, understand, that's why they were on the ship. They were moving cargo. That's their job. And now they're throwing that overboard. So here's the thing. They're doing everything humanly possible to save their lives. Isn't it humbling to get to a place where you realize that you're not invincible? Isn't it humbling to realize that you need help? Meanwhile, where's Jonah? The crew's up here. They're looking around. Has anybody seen Jonah? Where's the guy that is tagging along with us? I mean, it's chaos up here. Where's Jonah? And the captain says, I'll go below. And let's, let's just see. Maybe he's down below. And they go down, and there he is. And there he is. And what's going on? He's asleep. Are you kidding me? Who can sleep in this? And then this is what happens because it sounds like an insult because the captain says, what are you doing, you sleeper? I mean, this is what's going on in my head. How is it, you sleeper? And so he's waking him up. What are you doing? Why don't you get in the game? Don't you know what we're up against? This is a life and death struggle here. Why don't you cry out to your God? Maybe your God would answer and respond and save us. Now, isn't this just ironic? 
Because you've got these pagan sailors. They don't believe in God. And the captain is tapping on the man of God, the prophet of God, to pray to God. And meanwhile, these guys are up there and they're praying like crazy to anything. And Jonah's down here and he's not even, he's not praying. He doesn't even seem to be interested in praying. See, the sailors are positive that this is no chance storm. Somebody's to blame for this. We got to figure this out. We have got to figure this out. Whose fault is this? Come on, don't we operate like that a little bit too? When we see something that's not right, you're like, all right, whose fault is this? And at our house, it starts with the oldest son, and we start working way down, you know, thinning through them, down to the youngest. It's somebody's fault. That's just what we're prone to do. And so these sailors, they're looking for somebody to blame. They want to know who the guilty party is. They need to be identified. They need to be exposed. There's no way that this is random. And storms tend to expose us and our weaknesses and our sins and our flaws. And that's uncomfortable. So what the sailors do, and I don't even know how this is possible when you're in the middle of the storm. They, they like huddle up and this is what we're going to do, guys. What we're going to do is we're going to cast lots. How do you think we'll keep them on the deck of the ship? I don't know, but we're going we're gonna to try it anyway. Now, casting lots, that sounds extremely weird to us. But this was a typical way in the ancient times that they did things to discern divine direction. So we're going to cast lots. Come on, just put this in your imagination. How does this even work in this storm, right? So this is what's going on. And then they cast the lots, and the lot falls on Jonah, and then the crew finds out what we have known all along. This is Jonah's fault. Come on, think about this. Put yourself on board. The lot falls on Jonah, and then the slow head turn, and then the eye contact. What have you done? And then listen to it. It leads to a barrage of questions. Who are you? Where'd you come from? What do you do? What's your mama's name? I mean, they're going through all of this stuff because this is what the sailors were thinking. They're thinking that a deity is a tie to all of these things, all of these questions that they were asking, and they're trying to figure out which deity was offended so they can appease that deity so the storm will stop and they won't die. That's what's going on here. And then Jonah responds, you know, what have you done? Well, I can tell you which deity has been offended. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. And so they're in a circle on board of a ship in a storm, and they're sharing. And Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. But does he really fear the Lord? Because it would seem like to me that somebody who fears the Lord would be somebody who's ready to obey the Lord. And Jonah's not obeying the Lord. He's on the run from the Lord. In fact, he's doing the exact opposite of what God called him to do. He's giving lip service to what he says he believes. His actions don't sync up with what he says he believes. And I don't know about you, but this gave me pause. In what areas of my life, in what areas of my life, am I just giving lip service to God? Where am I giving lip service to the things that I just say that I believe? That's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. And it says that the men were exceedingly afraid, and they again questioned him, what have you done? 
What have you done? Because they knew that he's running from God. He's running from God because Jonah had told him, and you know how guys are. You know the first mate had to look at the captain and said, see, I told you so. We shouldn't have let him on the boat. This is why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have nice things. And once you get to the point where you understand why you're in a storm, just because you understand why you're in the storm, it doesn't make the storm go away. Because whatever the cause, there are consequences. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, even in the rubble that, that comes as a result of the storm, if we look closely and pick through the rubble, you can see the fingerprints of God. Because God is continually working through all of these circumstances to make our hearts more open and more receptive to his will. He's working to position us and to prepare us and to place us for his future purpose. The storm continues to rage. And I love this question. This is what the mariners, this is what they ask of Jonah. What can we do to you so that it will be okay for us? Pull the whiteboard over. We're going to figure this out. What can we do to you so that it will be okay for us? They realize that they're almost out of options. They're almost out of options. And it says, and the sea grew more and more tempestuous. What a great word, <laughs> tempestuous. And, and Jonah says, well, here's the solution. Throw me in. And you know these guys are looking at this guy like, are you kidding me? Now you want us in trouble for throwing you overboard. You want that on us? That's a terrible idea. We're not doing that. And it says, and they rode even harder and harder and harder. And they're really straining, but they're making zero progress. Zero progress. And the sea continued to rage and it got worse and worse. And then they had to huddle up again. And I can just see it. Can you see it? The guys are getting together. All right, guys, what are we going to do? Let's pray about it. And, says, and they prayed and they threw Jonah in. And the raging sea ceased immediately. If you were in there on that boat in that moment, how would you respond? Oh my goodness. A raging storm. We're all going to die. Slick as glass. And their response was, and they feared the Lord exceedingly. But come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Even discussing storms can be unnerving. Just talking about them sometimes. It feels like, oh, it's too soon. It's too soon. Not yet. Not yet. Only after some time and space and distance does it feel okay to look back and even talk about it. But some of us, some of us, we're still in the middle of the storm. And I think we all can agree that when you're in the middle, that's the worst. That's the worst. That's that season where it's so disorienting and so uncomfortable. But listen, God's working. God's working in the storm. If we look carefully, his fingerprints are there. His fingerprints are there. There is evidence of grace. There are lessons to learn. There are lessons to process. And while we could give an endless list of things that you can learn from navigating and going through storms, I want to give you three. I want to give you three that are true that we can see in Jonah's story. They certainly have been true of my story, and they're probably true of your story as well. And here's the first lesson. The storms that are sent our way, they humble us. Storms humble us. 
but I want you to understand that this is a good thing because these things, they don't sound like good things, but this is a good thing. Storms humble us. Pride says that we don't need God. Pride says we don't need others. Pride says I don't need any help, but storms have this unique way, this unique ability to awaken us to the reality that we're limited, that we're limited. And though we crave independence and though we crave control, come on, just acknowledge it. You're a control freak. We don't really like being told what to do. We don't really like relying on other people. And pride, listen, pride isn't always loud and obnoxious. Sometimes pride is on display in quiet resistance. And however that is expressed, it doesn't take much of a, dis, uh, much of a storm. It doesn't take much of a disruption to destroy the illusion that you are unshakable. Man, that's humbling. For me, that was having to press a button. That was having to press a button for somebody to come help me into a wheelchair so I could then get to the bathroom. That's humbling. That's humbling. That was a blow to my pride. The swagger for me had turned into a struggle. What cool I had was vaporized. But humility is necessary. When you get to a place where you're humbled, you realize that you don't know it all, you can't do it all, that you need help. And it's in that space where you get to the point where you're teachable that God has something that he wants to reveal to you about himself and about you and about what's next. It acknowledges that we're not the center of the universe, that there are actually other people in the world. And when we begin to move the focus and the attention off us and start in looking to others, that's a display of tremendous humility. And this is the way Paul said it. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. He's writing to believers in Philippi and he says, do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, God is working to make us others-oriented, and that requires adversity. That requires humility and storms of the adverse nature. Those circumstances are something that can move us in that direction. So the first lesson is that storms humble us. The second lesson is this, that storms expose us. Storms expose us. But I want you to understand, again, this is a good thing. And I get it. I get it. This is true of me. It's probably true of you. You may be more spiritual than me. I'm not sure. But there are certain things in parts of our lives that we just wish people would never know. We don't want them to see. We spend a lot of time trying to hide our flaws. We don't want people to see them. The storms have a way of taking the varnish and the shine off our lives, of just removing it. Because there's this certain thing that we would love to project to a watching world, but a storm just, in seconds, it's gone. Suddenly, we are exposed and on full display. And come on, let's be honest, that's so, that's so disconcerting. We work so hard to build that image and then it just crumbles to dust around us. Even our identity, even our identity can get rattled just like that. 
for Jonah, he was exposed in this. He said, I'm a Hebrew. He says, I fear the Lord. He was exposed. He didn't fear the Lord. He was disobedient. He was on the run. He had just said a big fat no to God. He was exposed. His actions didn't match up with his words. For me, this is how I was exposed. I find, found my identity tied into what I did. That's where I looked to for value and an affirmation. Instead of looking to God, I was looking to who, who I was based on what I did. My job had become an idol. And when it shook, couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't see. When it shook, I shook. Storms reveal what is really, really important to us. They reveal what's going on in our heads. They reveal what's going on in our hearts. They expose areas that we need to give attention to. When God does this, he's saying, look over here. Look over here. We need to do something with this. We can't leave this like this. We have to address it. God exposes us because he wants what's best for us. He doesn't want us to settle. We're too easily satisfied and we're too quick to settle for something less than the best. So God humbles us with storms. Storms expose us. The third lesson is this. Storms prepare us and place us. And this is a good thing as well. Before God can do a work through us, he has to do a work in us. Before he can do something through us, he has to do something in us. He has to prepare us, and he has to position us. Preparation can look like rounding off our rough edges so that we can be less prickly. You know who you are. For some of us, it looks like strengthening our resolve so we can be more assertive. God often used storms to get us ready, to get us ready so that he can use us in a mighty way. For Jonah, he needed to be placed in the water to be prepared for what God wanted to do with him next. For me, he had to place me in the hospital. He had to place me in the hospital, and he used this to slow me down. He used this to show me patience and to teach me patience. He used this to make me more compassionate. And ultimately, as weird as it sounds, he used this storm in my life to make me more grateful. You know, too often in life, we are not grateful for what we do have. We're sad. We're sad about that. We should be more grateful for what we do have and not sad for what we don't have. Fortunately for Jonah, being in the water was only part of the story. It wasn't the end of the story. For me, being in the hospital was just part of the story. It wasn't the end of the story. For you that are in the middle of the storm tonight, it's just part of the story. It's not the end of the story. There's more of the story to come. There's more of the story to be written. And when you fast forward in the biblical narrative, when you move ahead in that, there's another man in a storm. There's another man in a storm, and he happens to be asleep as well, and his name is Jesus. But this guy is not running from God. He's right in the middle of God's mission for his life. In fact, this is what he was sent for. And when this man is roused from sleep with just a spoken word, he calms the storm. That's who we need a connection with. Someone we can connect with who can calm our storms that are raging around us and often in us. And that's why Jesus came. 
God sends storms to stir us up and reveal in our lives that there is something that we need. And then God then responds by sending us a Savior to deliver us from the storm that he provided to arouse our need for what he would then provide. That's why Jesus came. That was his very purpose. One of the most well-known verses in the Bible is John 3, 16. Let me read it for you again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son or sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For, but then keep going. In verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The God who sins is the God who saves. The God who sins storms is the God who sends his son to save us and deliver us. The God who sins is the God who saves. John Newton, you, I mean, you know his song, Amazing Grace. He also wrote this word that everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Sometimes, sometimes it's tough, but storms are necessary. Sometimes Storms are necessary. I'm not saying that they're pleasant. They're unpleasant. I'm just saying they are necessary. But in the middle of the storm, we can cling to the truth that the God who sins is the God who saves. If we will turn our no to God into a yes. And as the first chapter of Jonah ends, there's another twist in this story. Look at the very last verse. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I mean, come on, you're in a storm, and just when you think it can, can't get any worse, skadoop, you get swallowed by a fish. And you don't have your phone, you've got no flashlight, it's dark, and there's a stench. Fantastic. Come on, we've all been there, Right? Come on, nod your head a little bit. You know, grunt, moan, something. See, saying no to God has consequences. But God's kindness is always working ahead. In fact, he's with us all the way. The psalmist reminds us, reminds us of this. This is a great truth. You need to get this. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Even when I'm in the storm, you are with me. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. God is with us. God is with us. But listen, do you know why God sent the storm? Do you know why God allowed the lot to fall on Jonah? Do you know why God sent the great fish? Because of his great love and kindness. Do you know why God will allow your life to unravel? Do you know why God will send storms your way? It's because of his great kindness. It's because of his great kindness. He's not trying to punish you. He's not trying to pay you back for something that you think you did wrong way back when. He's not coming after you for that. He's coming after you because he loves you and he wants you to experience his kindness and grace. Listen, listen, never underestimate the value and importance of a storm. God uses them to change us to prepare us and to orient us so that we're greater in our dependence on him. Never underestimate the value 
of a storm. God wants us to have a deeper understanding of who he is and what he's up to. Are storms fun? Absolutely not. Are storms easy? No way. Some of you, you're still in the middle of the storm and you're thinking, what do I do now? How do I get out of this uncomfortable, smelly, gross situation that feels like, come on, it feels like it's never, ever, ever going to end. How do I get out of this? That's a great question. That's a great question. And as we come to the end of the first chapter, where we're leaving Jonah is in the belly of a great fish. And to figure out how to respond to that, you'll have to come back next week. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your kindness towards us. Lord, even those sending storms doesn't seem like a good and a kind thing. You leverage storms for good because you use them to to humble us, to expose us, things that need to be addressed and dealt with. You use storms even to prepare us and to place us for our good and ultimately for your glory. Lord, you're always at work. Help us to remember the truth that you are with us And that even though you send storms, that's not the only thing you send. You send your son to give us a rescuer and a deliverer who is with us forever and ever through the mess. Lord, thank you for your kindness. We ask that you would give us strength to endure. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.